All right, Alexander, let's talk about the deindustrialization of Germany, uh, a term that I believe we, did we coin that term? I believe we did. The no, deindustrialization of Germany yeah, oh, a year, a year plus ago, we started talking about this. And uh, sure enough, we're, we're there. It seems like we've arrived at, at the beginning of the end of what was once a, a great manufacturing economy, and uh, this is coming, this is coming about because I believe a Financial Times uh, report talked about the capital flight that is taking place in Germany, and pretty much no one wants to invest in no. Germany. <laughs> now so that's simple. Absolutely. Now, can I just say that is astonishing? That is an incredible situation. Capital flight from Germany. When did that last happen? I mean, Germany is the place capital went to. It's not the kind of place where capital left. Capital flight from Germany is an almost unheard of concept. I mean, you have to go back to, well, I mean, the crisis of the 1920s and 30s, as far as I can recall, for something like that before. I mean, Germany's always been a good place to invest. It's always been a good place to do business. I mean, it might be very regulated in some ways, but things are very orderly, very structured, very well organised. Um, you know, as we speak to business people, they will always tell you, you know, that setting up a business in Germany has always been a good idea. Well, no longer, it seems. And it also seems that a lot of the people who are taking their money out of Germany now are German Germans, and specifically industrialists, the industrial groups in Germany, they've concluded that the future of big industry in Germany, the big manufacturing industries in Germany, is not good. And it's not difficult to understand why. I mean, they've lost access to gas, to cheap Russian gas. Their uh, prospects of... Um, continuing their very successful economic relationship with China, are now in increasing doubt. Um, German government itself is finding it extremely difficult to keep up with the demands, the financial demands, which are growing all the time. Remember, Germany is constrained under its constitution. It can only run a very, very small deficit and has to bring it back into budget deficit and can, has to bring it back into surplus fairly quickly. And so that limits Germany's fiscal room for manoeuvre. It doesn't have much monetary room for manoeuvre either because, of course, German monetary policy is now run by the European Central Bank, which, of course, is based in Frankfurt, but which has a Eurozone responsibilities, not just German ones. And I think the situation is um, becoming very difficult. And of course, it's becoming difficult in Germany. It's becoming difficult right across the Eurozone. I think what is making the situation in Germany particularly hard now is that we're also, it's starting to look like seeing a worldwide decline in manufacturing. I mean, Manufacturing in Europe, Europe is now contracting. It's contracting, or at least it's not doing well in China either. Manufacturing data in China has been weak. 
There's been a lot of confusion about the figures from the United States. Um, there's been suggestions that the employment figures in the United States are wrong. And I think many people expected that and believed that. Um, there's signs that there's been some flickers of manufacturing activity in the United States. But I saw that uh, Peter Schiff is saying that this is all attempts to increase military production to fulfil orders in um, for Ukraine. So that's all apparently that is going on. I mean, I'm not sure about this, but it doesn't look very strong in the US either. And of course, what we're also seeing, despite repeated cuts in oil production by OPEC plus, that oil prices never succeed in rising. And I have to say this, it's looking to me increasingly as if we're heading into a very, very big recession, global recession indeed. And if Germany, which is already an outlier with all of these particular problems, is going to find itself faced with a global recession, which is particularly going to hit manufacturing, then of course it's going to take the whole process that we were just talking about down a further spiral. Right. So you think the cause of, of this... Uh this flight is not so much connected to to Russia, Ukraine, and more connected to just the global outlook. No, I think I think I think that the two for Germany, are, for Germany. I think I think that I think all of these are interconnected with each other. I think the the, the um, Ukraine crisis, the Russia crisis, the sanctions war, has massively, massively aggravated problems that would have arisen anyway um, after the pandemic. And um, coming after all the long years of, um, um, you know, heavy liquidity in the monetary system. And, of course, the massive fiscal overspend that the Biden administration did in its first year. But, you know, all of that might have been contained. But, of course, launching an all-out global economic war, which is continuing to intensify, by the way, a global economic war, imposing sanctions all over the place, threatening people with sanctions in all sorts of places. It is completely disrupting the world trading system and um, is leading, as we've discussed in many programmes, to a breakdown in the period of dollar dominance. And um, I think that is starting to feed in to doubts around the world about the future, which is why we see a general worldwide manufacturing decline, except paradoxically in Russia, which is an outlier here. Um, but I think in Germany, they are, if you like, at the very vanguard of this, because what they did with the Russian sanctions and the policies that they've run and some of their domestic sanction, uh, actions like closing down their nuclear power stations and all of the, all of the rest, I think that's given a massive ed added twist to this whole thing, which particularly affects Germany. And as I said, the, the, the risk is that you're going to get into a loop. So Germany's actions have pulled Germany down. Germany's act actions in association with all the other states, the Western states, is contributing to a worldwide recession. And that recession will then feed back into Germany and pull it down even further and faster. So you can see how this thing can happen 
you know, one thing coming on top of the other. There is still time to change course, by the way, but time is running out fast. And I will say this, um, you're absolutely right. We did coin that phrase last year, but I am surprised at the speed with which events are playing out now. Yeah. And the trajectory is not to, to fix the problem. It's actually in the opposite direction. And, and you can see that in the 11th sanctions package, which, which just shows that, that the EU leadership is absolutely out of control. Two Germans in, in that leadership, Ursula von der Leyen and Olaf Scholz, if you consider uh, Olaf Scholz to be an EU leader. Germany is yeah. the EU leader. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. so, so you have two Germans destroying yes. not only their country, but destroying... Uh, the European Union and, and and pushing the world towards towards a global recession, which is, in essence, forcing the world outside of the collective West to leave the collective West structures, heads, bricks, the SCO and and uh, and Bricks Bank and all of all of these things. Yes, it, this 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 is a disaster, but. No one is willing to remove these people so that they can get things back on course. No, no one, no, no one is. I just, you're I mean, can I just say, you summarised it perfectly. I mean, you've, you've, you've provided an absolutely correct summary of what's happening. But in a political system such as we have now in the West, where options, alternatives have been closed down, it, it, it is incredibly difficult to change course. And that's that's the problem we see. There is time and space in which to do it. It could be turned round if we had a you know a new chancellor in Germany with a different set of priorities, uh, who immediately said you know this has gone far enough. We've got to pick up the telephone, start talking to the Russians, try and sort out what we can do with Nord Stream, put all the sanctions aside, uh, um, debate a proper negotiation settlement over Ukraine, um, look for a security structure, new security structure in Europe. All of these things, by the way, once upon a time, they would not have been so difficult. I mean, a Willy Brandt could have done it. A Helmut Schmidt could have done it. Uh, in a kind of different kind of man, but Conrad Adenauer might have done it. But none of this is happening now because the political systems, not just in Germany, of course, but pretty much everywhere, except just conceivably in the United States, are allowing the kind of debates which make that kind of change possible. Um, the only way that it could happen would be if the political system was completely tipped over by, say, the victory in Germany of the IFD, which is becoming a little less more likely, but is still looking most unlikely to happen in any you know, foreshortened time frame, and one questions anyway whether the IFD would be in any position at the moment to form a government in Germany. And of course, you know, there's also the question of Marine Le Pen, but the unless there's an immediate collapse in France, and by the way, there's articles today in the British media which suggest there might be, but you know, who knows? But unless there is a collapse in France, the earliest she can become president is 2027, which is a long way away. You know, another thing that we said when, when all of this conflict started was that the purpose of the, of the conflict was indeed to, to keep Russia out, uh, to keep the United States in, the, the NATO mantra, to keep the United, the United States in. 
and to destroy, uh, to keep Germany down, to destroy Germany. And, and I think another part of this conflict, which is becoming clear, is that uh, the collective West, it appears that, <clears throat> that they're okay with destroying Ukraine as well. Yeah. I think that's also becoming clear that, that, that they're now seeing what's happening in Ukraine as, uh, as unwinnable. And so the shift, the policy shift has now become, you know, whatever, whatever the Russians think they're going to, to grab in Ukraine, Novorossiya, let's call it Novorossiya, this territory, it's better if we just destroy it than actually uh, try to, to win this thing or preserve it. So, I mean, they're definitely destroying Germany. They're destroying Ukraine. They're, uh, they're keeping the U.S. Uh, in Europe, which is not good for Americans. It sounds like that's a good thing. You know, if Americans are like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we've, we've got Europe now. Great. No, <laughs> no, that's the last thing that you want around your neck is, is a dysfunctional uh, European Union. I mean, this is not a good thing for the United States of America, but that's what they're getting now. They own Europe. They own whatever's left of Ukraine and the 150 or 300 billion, whichever number you want to take of everything they poured into Ukraine. Disaster. Well, absolutely. I mean, a, 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 a broken Europe is absolutely not something that the United States should want. I mean, in fact, that reverses completely US policy. Once upon a time when the US was led by different types of people, by people like George Marshall, Dwight Eisenhower, John Kennedy. They believed in building up Europe, not, not breaking it down. And, you know, that, that created a huge period of prosperity and prosperity which enhanced prosperity in the United States. A broken Europe will be a burden, not a prop for the United States. It will pull it down. And of course, if it becomes increasingly unstable politically, which it would be bound to in time, well, that would be another set of problems on top of the economic problems. So, I mean, this is a completely misconceived, misguided policy. But I agree. But I'm very glad. I agree with what you say. And I agree that this has worked out in the way that perhaps some people hoped, even though they're giving America a poisoned gift. But I will, I will also say also that I'm glad that you brought up Ukraine. Now, I'm sure you saw this survey by this institute in Kiev, and it's an important thing to stress that this is a Ukrainian survey. They did a survey across Ukraine uh, of people, you know, whether people know anybody who has been killed or wounded over the course of this conflict. And the numbers are horrifying. I mean, you know, they, they've jumped from around 9% of respondents in the autumn. So I think it was 78% now. I mean, it, 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 it's, it really does look as if Ukraine is in the process of being completely destroyed. And this whole conflict was supposed to be about preserving Ukraine. It's doing the opposite. It wasn't, we know. I mean, well, I know, yeah. We well, said I mean, from the very beginning. The, well, yeah, I know. That's what they yeah. sold to the people. You know, Tucker Carlson did his monologue on, on Twitter the other day, and he said the same thing. They were selling the American people that this whole, this whole conflict is about Ukrainian democracy and preserving Ukraine's democracy and all these things. And, 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 and then he noted that Zelensky canceled elections. So obviously this is not about democracy. But this was always about regime change in Russia. We saw it. 
you know, last weekend with the whole Prigozhin thing. We're not going to bring that up again. But <laughs> how excited they were with no, the absolutely. prospects of some sort of regime, regime change because that is what this entire thing has been about. Yes. Regime change in Russia and then pillaging and plundering all of Russia's resources. And then when they're done pillaging and plundering all of Russia's resources, breaking apart Russia into a hundred different micro states, just like they did with the Balkans. Yes. They were going to take what they, the, the, the plan that they put, put in place in the Balkans and they were transferring it to, to Russia. Yes. And it has failed. Yes. Every turn has failed. You want to fix this thing? It's very simple. Me and you could fix, could fix Europe. Very simple. Stop the money to Ukraine. Stop the weapons to Ukraine. Force Zelensky. Force him. He's going to be forced. Within 24 hours, he's going to be calling up Putin and saying, Putin, please, please let me come to Moscow and meet with you. That's the one thing you do. And then you remove Vanderlein. You remove Schultz. You remove the Greens. You get rid of all those people. That's all you have to do. Von der Leyen and the, the Schultz Green government. And, and things will start to, <laughs> to move in the right direction. I'm exaggerating things a bit, but I think you get my point. You are not exaggerating at all. Can I just say, if you did all of those things, and as you said, they were, remain well within the realm of the political, politically possible, or what used to once be the politically, politically possible. I mean, you know, if we had a JFK in the White House. It could be done. I mean, it absolutely could be done. Well, we got an RFK Jr. Or an R. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe we will. We'll see. But you know, if you if you did, if you had someone like that and a political system to support them, as we once did, that kind of thing would have been possible. I mean, you know, remember Richard Nixon went to Beijing. <laughs> I mean, that was at least as big a reversal of policy as the one you're talking about. But I'm going to say something else. And if we did all of those things, all the things that you said, the revival in the world economy would be immediate. You would see a, you would see from the present downward pull, there would be a rush of confidence. People would start spending, investing, setting up businesses. And if there was a major effort made to try to sort out the overhang of money left over from the decade of QE and the fiscal overspend that we saw as well. And there's all kinds of ways of mopping that money up. It can, it's not as challenging or as difficult as people think. You could see the entire world economy change direction incredibly fast, just as it did after the Second World War, just as it did in the 1980s. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Things would change very, very quickly. But we're no. we're moving in the complete no. opposite direction. Opposite direction. I mean. Exactly. We're, we we are reinforcing we're re reinforcing the positions that are making things worse. Yeah. All right. We'll end it there. The Durad.locals.com. We are in Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, and Rockfin. And go to the Durad shop. Ten percent off. Use the code Good Day. Take care. <laughs>